Hello again, friends and leaders. Welcome back to What Leaders Want. I'm your host, Jay Delling, and it's here that we peel back the proverbial onion on how leadership makes the world go around. I'm excited about today. Our focus is on um, NCAA Division I College Athletic Perspective on Leadership. Our special guest is Wichita State Athletic Director Kevin Saul. Kevin, thanks for stopping by to talk about the impact leadership has on college athletics and to talk about leadership in general. Welcome. Jay, thanks so much for having us on your show. I, I look forward to the opportunity and appreciate you reaching out and uh, look forward to our time together. Well, welcome back home, right? It's been almost mm -hmm. a year now since uh, Kevin came back to his home state of Kansas. He spent the previous three years as the director of athletics at Murray State, where he helped lead them through a couple of different conference alignment transition processes. So Kevin, my first question is what's the leadership strategy and and to get all hands on deck, everybody on the same page to make those conference transitions with minimal disruptions? Well, I think it starts, Jay, with alignment at the top. So from a director of athletics perspective, certainly understanding um, that we are an extension of the educational mission on our campus and uh, that we daily need to strive for great alignment within our president's office and university PR and, and what those goals are. And, and really that's vetted out through the interview process when, when you're looking for jobs. You just gotta make sure, and I encourage young people all the time to, to be yourself in interviews because at the end of the day, if you're not, you've got uh, you walk in with um, an expectation that that may not be true to who you are. And so it starts there. Um, and as you journey with your president, your university leadership and understanding how the industry of college athletics changes daily, hourly, minutely at, at, yeah. at the time. And um, so for us at Murray State, it was important for us to create a long term pathway for our programs that we felt uh, aligned with our institution mission, vision, core values um, that would position our sports in a, in a place to be not only competitive, but but to need to work for it, but also grow. Um, you know, we use the analogy all the time in the basketball world that if you're the best player on your AAU basketball team, you're probably on the wrong team. Um, it, when you've got competition and you've got um, you're, you're pushing and grinding every single day to expand resources and align those resources to expectations to, to, to grow and to win championships that ultimately will make your organization better. And so that's what we strove to do at, at uh, Murray State and it takes a lot of time and effort and a lot of communication and relationships and understanding what other institutions and other leagues are looking for. Um, and so, again, I think that was about a nine month process for us and it was really a parallel process as we work to get basketball and all of our other sports, excluding football into the Missouri Valley Conference, um, but in parallel track work to get our football program in the Missouri Valley Football Conference, really the, the, the most competitive football conference in FCS football. So it was a joy. Um, it was a grind for a year yeah. and Hard uh, work. We, yeah. we ended up very successful. Kevin, I talk to my leadership coaching clients all the time about influence. Influence is, is so important in leadership, and it really starts with how we were influenced in our lives and even in our formative years. Ultimately, good leaders pay it forward and influence to those who are willing to accept it. So who are your influencers that guided how you influence today? 
Well, I appreciate that very much because none of us get here alone, right? We all mm-hmm. we all have partners along the journey, and I think influence is an interesting um, concept because to me, influence ultimately is uh, leadership. But but you don't earn influence just by walking in the door. I think prior to influence, you've got to you've got to talk about credibility. Uh, before you can influence individuals, you've got to have credibility to do so. And really, even before that, it's about trust. And so I think for me, it was generating a tremendous amount of trust in individuals that were genuine and and authentic about my journey. And whether that's Coach Snyder at Kansas State, who took a unique interest in me or my first boss there, um, I had a great mentor at UMKC, or Mitch Barnhart for 12 years at the University of Kentucky, uh, people that I trusted a great deal, um, who earned credibility in my life to speak into uh, me as a person, as a professional, um, as a spouse, as a community leader, as a as a believer and a person of faith, and and all of those elements. Um, and so you have those people along the journey that that influence you along the way. And I could share story after story. Uh, but whether it's coaches, um, administrators, colleagues, staff members that you're in the trenches with, just so many influencers along the way that get you to where you, you need to go. But you would agree that those influencers in your formative years uh, were really important to to how you ap- approach it today. I don't think there's any question at all. You know, the the core values, mission, and vision that we had at at Murray State and that we brought with us to Wichita State is foundationally uh, grounded in what we did at Kentucky for 12 years. Um, I believe very, very strongly uh, in those elements uh, that first and foremost, it's about your core values. You got to understand who you are uh, before you can make decisions through any other lenses. You have to understand who you are what it is that you do, which is our student athlete development experience. Um, and then how do you want to compete? And so those were key elements for us at Kentucky, our core values, our student athlete experience, our broad-based con- competitive excellence. And that influenced me a great deal. Uh, Mitch Barnhart and Connie um, run a department in a very unique way. Um, it is family first, there's no doubt about it. Um, and so I think Mitch and Connie Uh, lived their life in such a way that created curiosity for people. And ultimately, as leaders, I think we've got to live in such a way where you're calm in the storm and you're stable and steady and in times of adversity and strife. Um, And then there's that curiosity. Then you have an opportunity as a leader to actually influence, uh, right? Because you've earned some credibility and trust. Um, So again, really, really important pieces uh, for us. Um, You know, Mitch had a very unique way of of growing uh, an athletic department and programs. When I started there in 2007, uh, we were about a $46 million budget. When I left in 2019, we were a $150 million annual budget. We had done from 2010 to 2019, a little over a quarter of a billion, $250 million in capital construction. And it still came down to family was first and relationships. We worked really hard, but we had a lot of fun doing it together. And so I would say he's really been my greatest influence professionally. Well, yeah, you can't, you can't do what you did without, without great influence. So Kevin, we share a, a common interest and appreciation of leadership, speaker and author, Simon Sinek. So one of the ways Simon shares his vision of leadership is to take a chapter out of how the military 
illustrates uh, through the quote, leaders eat last. Talk about how that quote impacts you and what that looks like in your leadership strategy. Well, ultimately, I I subscribe to the sacrificial and servant leadership model. Um, and so if you think about a traditional org chart, I actually like to, to flip it on its uh, horizontal axis and um, and understand that at the bottom of that org chart is the leader of the organization and, and he or she is responsible for serving everybody that sprouts up from that bottom. And so I think that's really important and it's important for us to understand that it's not about us as leaders, it's about the people that we serve and support. Um, so our student athletes and our coaches, ultimately our mission really simple is to to develop young people and programs. It's that simple. And so for us, it's how do we support our folks um, to achieve that end? And whether it's, um, you know, sacrifices that, that you make for the betterment of the organization, whether it's the perks of the job, is I learned through those influencers in my life is to push others forward. Um, we believe strongly at University of Kentucky, and I've certainly taken it with me, that our role as leaders is to equip and launch uh, young people. And I think sometimes we we tend to get a little possessive of uh, staff and our organizations that might be doing a really good job, and we want to keep them, right? We don't want to replace them. And I was just amazed at the the end result of what happens culturally within your department when you take a stance of equipping and launching people want to be a part of your organization because they're going to get thrust into developmental experiences and they know that there's a developmental pathway to get you to your end goal um, and so i think that's important for us to to create um, as well and i don't think you create that as a leader um, being out front when all the times are good, I think you've got to push your your team and your family forward when it's good. I think you got to step out front when it's when it's difficult, when it's a challenge, when there's adversity, uh, and protect the organization in some of those respects as well. So I think it's it can be a lonely spot um, as a leader, and I've heard that a lot. I think we all hear that a lot, um, and at times it truly is uh, because um, you alone are responsible for making decisions for the organization. And in some cases, you alone may have all the information, whereas others don't, whether they're in the organization or outside of the organization. So it can be a challenge for sure. Yeah, very much so. So now we're at the point of the show where we get to know Kevin Saul. I'm going to ask a question or ask you to pick between two things. Kevin, there's no points awarded, no prizes. Sorry about that. Are you ready? There's no competition. I don't, I don't know how to handle that. <laughs> the type A competitor, competitor in me. We'll see. All right. Here we go. Michael Phelps or Michael Jordan? Mm. Michael Jordan. Yeah, think on that, though. Man, yeah, that's Greg, a tough one. The battle of the Gregs here. Greg Luganis or Greg Norman? Wow. Well, as a background in uh, swimming and diving, as a former springboard and platform, platform diver in college, I would have to go with Luganus. I know a little bit more of his story and the struggles and adversity and his journey to becoming comfortable with with who he is and 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 uh, who he wanted to be. Um, certainly was a phenomenal talent and uh, went through what I thought are some very human struggles mm -hmm. um, to get there. Yeah, very much so. He was he was beautiful to watch. It, it was art, no doubt. 
Current or last book you read? You're going to have to forgive me on the author. It is the uh, the founder of Hobby Lobby, and it is okay. it is leadership uh, not by the book. Is, yeah. is the title of it? Leadership not by the book. Um, I'm about halfway through that one uh, currently. One that I try to revisit really often is Sam Walker's The Captain Class, and, and ironically, there's a chapter in there specifically about how you earn credibility and where you can spend it, how you spend it, uh, it basically equates it to a, a currency. Credibility is a currency that you earn and spend and, and strategically understanding uh, where you can earn it and how is best to spend it. Uh, really a fascinating read. Oh, I bet that's interesting. All right, play a round of golf at Prairie Dunes in Hutchinson, Kansas, which is one of the top 20 golf courses in the country, or Attend the Kentucky Derby. Man. Um, you know, this one's a tough one. Spending 12 years in Kentucky, uh, I went out to Keeneland, which is the racetrack in, in Lexington, frequently. I never made it to a derby, and I'll tell you why. It was always on a Saturday of a home baseball series or, or a road baseball series, and I was the baseball administrator for 10 years. So I never made it to the derby, so I would probably pick the derby. There you go. Mountains or the beach? Mountains. See, we finally got an easy one, right? That one's an easy one. All right. A walk through Central Park in New York or a walk along a beach in Maui? Maui. What's your favorite movie of all time? Man. I would say one of my favorite, well, I'm going to give you two uh, that I just can't, if I'm scrolling late at night, I've got 10, 15, 20 minutes that I have a hard time moving past is Shawshank Redemption and Moneyball. You know, uh, our previous guest, um, Damon Young, who's the um, leader of the Kansas Leadership Center. I asked him that question. He said the same thing. And I'm going to tell you the same thing I told him. It's my favorite too. Pretty good. What was your first music concert? 1986, Bramlage Coliseum in Manhattan, Kansas, Def Leppard. <laughs> Love it. Do you prefer smooth or crunchy peanut butter? Crunchy. Dinner for four. You and three other people, living or dead. Who are your three dinner guests? Mm. Wow. Living or dead. Mm -hmm. Sprung this one on me, Jay. Um, <laughs> I, I would have to say um we'll we'll pick one that i think was very transformative in athletics was jim host host communications mm -hmm. which basically mm -hmm. evolved into img jmi learfield has really transformed the collegiate athletic industry his story is phenomenal he's a former pitcher from the university of kentucky first scholarship pitcher of oh. baseball and so i know him very very well uh, but he's a he's a phenomenal uh, leader and influencer in our industry um you know, I guess I would go with some of uh, the leaders in our culture that uh, went through tremendous challenge uh, to understand what that looks like, whether it's Churchill, Abe Lincoln, um, you know, presidential leaders uh, at really difficult times, um, George W. Uh, during mm -hmm. a really difficult time and understanding their thought processes in the height 
of dysfunction, um, how they manage to keep calm in the storm, um, to manage their priorities, to um, stay really uh, level-headed and understand how to be a really good leader and a communicator. There's also a book out there that's called Lincoln on Leadership. It's a really easy read, about 12 chapters, but it's um, 12 specific uh, leadership examples, uh, and they highlight Lincoln's life and his leadership through the Civil War and uh, times of great difficulty. So I would say those are two. And if you're opening it up, I, I think I would have to go with with our Lord and Savior. There you go. <laughs> I mean, that, how that, can you that not goes without bread. saying. Yeah. yeah. How can you not break bread without him? Right. Yeah, that's right. All right. That's a, that's a good dinner party. I like that. All right. So, again, no points awarded, no prizes. Sorry, Kevin. Um, but back to the ranch. So okay. every conversation I have on what leaders want will include the topic. What is your most impactful leadership moment. Tell us about that moment for you. You know, it's one that I, I learned very early on uh, at the University of Kentucky, and it sounds trivial um, as I walk through it, but it, it was a really impactful, meaning, uh, meaningful for me. I was in an in entry-level position, was transitioning actually into a middle manager as an assistant AD for event management and championships there. And we took great pride in um, bidding for and hosting NCH championships at the University of Kentucky. We felt really strongly about our young people being able to um, sleep in their own beds and compete mm -hmm. for championships at home. And so uh, Mitch provided us every resource that we needed to go out and get those championships. There were no excuses. And and part of the formula for hosting those is doing a really good job when you get one and building a reputation so that when those committees meet to select hosts, they know that they're going to get a first-class student-athlete experience at Kentucky. So long story short, um, it's probably been about 10 years ago, the NCA transitioned to a um, every four years bid cycle on dozens of championships. And so it, it, it went from basically doing it championship by championship to a collective four-year cycle process. <laughs> and Jay, we missed one. There's several categories um, that there's a men's championship, women's championships, there's NC championships, and we missed one. And it was with our gymnastics program. We had aspired to uh, to host a bid for and host an NCAA gymnastics regional at Kentucky. And uh, Tim Garrison was a brand new uh, head coach at Kentucky, and he was really fired up to host and he wanted to host. And so um, the, the bids came out and we were awarded a bunch. And what we what we noticed is that we weren't awarded gymnastics. And so we started digging into that. I started digging into that. Why? What did we miss in that one? And uh, it came to find out that there was a separate bid portal that we missed in terms of submitting our materials for that cycle. And so you're sitting there and your stomach just absolutely drops um, because you know how much it meant to our athletic director who has great influence and credibility in your life um, and how much it meant to a new coach. And so I sat there for about 15 minutes and be lying to you if I didn't contemplate all different possibilities. And at the end of the day, the hard right is always the way to go. And so I picked up the phone and I called Mitch and I said, man, I, dro I dropped the ball. I missed it and uh, feel terrible about it. Nobody's harder on yourself as leaders than you are. Um, and uh, he was very gracious. Um, and I told him that I wanted to call the sport administrator for gymnastics and the head coach. And I did that. I met with him face to face and man, he just owned it. And um, I think for us, uh, we we work in an industry that's driven by passion and emotion and perception. 
and public thought. And so it's very easy to get wrapped up in that. And, and for me, the best leaders are the ones that are very responsible and methodical. They have great pace to what they do. Um, their, their bandwidth is almost endless. Um, they uh, just have all those great qualities. They're resilient. Um, but at times, we're all human. We're going to make mistakes. I think it's really important to step forward and just own it. You know what? I missed it. Um, won't happen again. Here's what we learned from it. Because to me, that's the perpetual productivity cycle, right? We plan and prepare. We execute. Uh, we evaluate. And then we plan and prepare. And it doesn't matter if you look at Coach Snyder at K-State, Coach Lawson or Coach Breadbender, softball coaches at Kentucky and Wichita State. It is that elite attention to detail and the commitment to that productivity cycle so that when you miss, all you do is just fold it into your next round of plan and prepare, execute, uh, evaluate. And so it's really important for us to just own mistakes. Yeah, and, and it shows me two things, accountability and vulnerability, right? Because great leaders... Um, they'll, they'll be accountable because we learn much more right, wrong, or indifferent from our failures than we do our wins. And in order to do that, you have to be vulnerable. So, so thank you for sharing that. So we, we also live in a what's in it for me world, which in balance proportion isn't all bad, right? So you like to exercise this idea of it's not about me. What does that mean to you and how do you apply it to leadership? Yeah, I um, I think when you are humbled um, in the leadership journey, just put it to you that way in, in very general terms, I think you begin to understand that um, when you put yourself in front of the mission, vision, and purpose, like I said to you, we're, our purpose is to develop young people and programs. That's first and foremost. Um, our core values are first and foremost. When you put yourself out in front of that and you cut corners to core values or you prioritize yourself or somebody else or something else in front of your mission, vision, and focus as an organization, then I think you've you've lost a little bit. You've lost your credibility. And so um, I've heard my mentor say it at different times that, you know, one of the one of the lessons to learn is it's not about you. It's a very public job. And so our decisions are on the front page of the paper and they're typically headlines. And as I mentioned before, a lot of folks will render judgment on that at 30,000 feet, not knowing um, all of the details that go into that. And I would tell you that most people make pretty sound decisions. Um, you don't get to this spot in your career or life without that ability. It's really about the information that you're using to synthesize those decisions. And so the public aspect of the job, you can get trapped pretty quick into thinking it is about you and it's not. Whether it's Mark Coyle, Mitch Barnhart, Rob Mullins, Dwayne Peavy, um, I, I had tremendous colleagues at Kentucky that have sprouted off to be ADs at, at literally a dozen different places. And I've heard every single one of them say, at some point you realize it's not about you. And the, the strength of the organization is, is in its people collectively and the productivity that, that those folks can, uh, can usher. So, Last question, what leadership advice would you, Kevin Saul today, give the Kevin Saul 20 years ago? Oh, wow. Um, well, I'll share this, a couple things. Um, 
I started my career in event management at K-State, which is a lot of logistics, right? We talk about the game day experience, driveway to driveway experience, parking, traffic, ticket, seating, concessions, restrooms, the game operations, all those things, a lot of detail. It's very easy to get trapped into a transactional style there because you have so many boxes to check and the productivity cycle that we talked about. Very early on in my career, from I would say from 2005 through about 2010, pretty consistent on my performance evaluations was um, to transition thoughts from being transactional about the list and getting a lot of things done to uh, focus a little bit more on relational. And so um, that was a consistent theme. And I think it's, if I'm vulnerable and honest with you, at times it's, I, I struggle with it today. There's so many things that we wanna get done and get accomplished that at times you can walk into the office and say, okay, here's what I got for you. And you don't, you, you might forget to stop and say, hey, how's your, how's your family doing in a genuine and authentic way? Uh, hey, how'd the meeting go the other day? And um, so much of our culture is, is moving forward onto the next thing. And so that to me is something that I'll always uh, try to try to manage. I think the other thing is, again, when you realize, when you're humbled by the journey and you realize that, um, um, that leaders truly do eat last, I think is just maintaining coachable spirits. And I think you have to be vulnerable. Um, you have to maintain some vulnerability and openness to that. So the ability to listen and and have a coachable spirit uh, when you get that constructive uh, criticism is really, really important. All right, Kevin. Well, hey, thanks for your time today and sharing your thoughts about leadership. It, it was fascinating getting to know you. Friends, that's a wrap. We're going to put a bow on this episode of What Leaders Want. Until we meet again, remember, if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, and do more, you, my friends, are leaders. <laughs>